How could a man's death glorify God? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. Brian, we are getting to one of the mo- most interesting moments in the later days, and I mean days, of Jesus' earthly ministry here today. This is exciting. We are talking about John 11 more or less the whole chapter today, um, dealing specifically with the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Yeah, add it to our long list, or too long of a list of favorite passages, at least one of mine. Uh, love this passage, a lot to talk about. And, and I think as we get ready to dive in, we're probably going to, it's going to be apparent, we're going to probably just kind of walk through it step by step and just kind of talk as we go, because there's just so much here. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. And I mean, because we're talking about pretty much the whole chapter, I don't know that we could get away with reading the whole thing no. today. That might be a lot. So, but uh, but there are some pieces that we can read for sure. So, let me just do let me just do the first first few verses of the chapter. Um, and so this is what it says, John 11 in the CSB. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, and so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, but because he sees uh, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Then he he said to them, and then he told them, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm on my way to wake him up." Then the disciples said to him, "Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well." Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, and but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, "Lazarus has died." I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's but let's go to him. So we get uh we get a lot of stuff going on even in just this big chunk here yes. because we get sassy Jesus. <laughs> we get um we get a little bit of the disciples punting again and not quite being sure what's going on. Um you know and and of course we are driving toward as we know the find the conclusion of Jesus's earthly ministry. Yeah. So, is there anything else that we should set, talk about? No, I mean that's, that that's really important that we understand that that where this happens in John eleven. I mean, it is leading right into the final week of Jesus. Um, it's it's coming close, and this is the seventh. We've talked about John seven signs attesting miracles. This is the seventh of those signs, and they culminate. They they all drive. They in a way they increase in 
all. So that by the time you get to this one, the resurrection of a dead person, it's not hard to see how that's naturally going to connect to the resurrection of Jesus himself. So that has to be in mind as we study this, that that Jesus is setting up what's going to happen after this. Um, And there is so much stuff here. You left off. You stopped short of giving Thomas some credit where, uh, you know, usually we refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas. And I've always had issues. I haven't always. Um, I've had I've had issues with that because it seems like we just lump him together. And here, I mean, right after you said that, Jesus talks about Lazarus having died, and and he's glad. Thomas in verse uh, sixteen says, "Let's go too, so that we may die with him." So here you have. I mean, you can be critical of Thomas here. <laughs> you know, he's a downer. Yep. He's an Eeyore. We're gonna all die. But, I mean, give him credit. He's like, let's go. I- I'm going to die with him. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. there's loyalty there. So I, I think that's – let's give Thomas a little credit there while, while we can. For sure. For sure. Well, thinking about even just this big chunk. So we're going to ask a lot of questions yeah. about this passage. And, and whenever you're studying this passage, which honestly for a lot of people who have been in the church for a long time – This is a familiar one because it comes up pretty frequently in uh, preaching calendars um, because it is because it's a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it is one of the staple non direct death and resurrection Easter passages. Um, It is, you know, it is it's just a great encouragement and a a great lead into the gospel itself. So um, but when we're thinking about this, what kind of questions should we be asking? I think the first one, again, we're just going to kind of walk through this. But the first one, he rewind, uh, right near the beginning, uh, Jesus hears that Lazarus, his, his good friend, is, is sick. And then in verse 4, he says something curious. And you have to ask, you know, Jesus says that he's not going to die. Was Jesus wrong when he said that Lazarus would not die? Because we know he did. No, Jesus was not wrong. Because if you read closely, Jesus doesn't say he would not die. He says the sickness would not end in death. And I think this is yeah, pointing those out. Are different yeah, they're different things. Somebody listening might say, well, I, I, yeah, that's obvious. Great. That's the point. Um, what we need to do is we need to be careful as we're reading to read really carefully. And this, this is just, I think, a good example because I've heard some people kind of point to this before. And, and scratch our head and say, look, look like Jesus was wrong. Um, no, he's not wrong. We just have to be very careful. Words matter. Um, when Jesus says that the sickness would not end in death, that is critical, end in death. It would go through death, but it not, did not end in death because Lazarus was raised again. Now, Lazarus would eventually die at some point, but not because of this sickness. So Jesus is not wrong. We just need to be careful how we read. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that is that is really a, an important thing. It sounds simple, but how many mistakes do we make when we just don't read carefully? I mean, we do this on emails. Yeah. We do it on texts. Um, you know, certainly certainly Twitter has has taught us well to not read at all. Uh, let's not do that with scripture, okay? Twitter has taught us not to love as well. So, but that's that's, oh that's a different podcast for a different time. Yeah, when we get to um, when we get to get back to sin again, there you go. man, we're gonna dump all over Twitter <laughs> so hard. Oh, the twitters! 
Oh gosh, but let's. Uh, but uh, here's another question that that is worth asking when we when we look at just even this intro portion that that we've just talked about a little bit. Did Jesus say that Lazarus being sick was good? And if and a natural question, a natural question that follows up from that is is isn't that kind of cruel? Yeah. I mean, because that's if you read back in verse four again, he says this sickness will not end in death, what we just talked about. Yeah. And then to your point, but it is for the glory of God. And what is the subject? Yeah. The sickness. This sickness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through him. So it sounds like Jesus is saying sickness is a good thing. It does. And that's not what he's saying exactly. What we have to remember, and, and I mean, the text itself answers this question. The sickness is there for the glory of God. God is using Lazarus's sickness and his death for his glory and Lazarus's good as well as ours. And we we see this play out, and that's that's a theme that we need to keep in mind as we read through the rest of the of the chapter and as we keep discussing, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. So I'm going to try and protect us from jumping ahead. But the big idea out of that statement that Jesus makes is, is that God can bring good out of, out of anything, out of great evil, out of, um, out of sorrow and sadness, anything. Nothing is so bad that God can't redeem it and use it for his glory. Joseph in Genesis 50, he is a, he is the the perfect quintessential example of this. We see um you know from a from a a natural human life perspective. We see him go through all kinds of terrible sorrow and um and pain and suffering because his brothers beat him and sold him into slavery. That's that's some pretty terrible stuff. And I mean, this is why when they're reunited, when Joseph has become this great leader in Egypt, and that's that that temporal fulfillment of God, God using these things for his glory and to fulfill his purposes. Um, they're all afraid that he's going to kill them because he's going to want revenge. And he's like, no, 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 no. You you did this for evil, but God but God used it for good. And, um, and of course, the greatest historical ultimate example of all is the cross. That is the most evil thing that ever happened in the world. Perpetrate of human sin against God. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, yeah. that was the ultimate, the ultimate sin. And yet... God intentionally sent Jesus into the world to, and Jesus went willingly to, to suffer and die on the cross for this purpose, for God's glory, so that people can be yeah. saved. And I think this is, we don't want to, we don't want to make this a wooden doctrine that we're that we're talking about here. And, and by that, I mean that we rip the humanity out of it, rip the emotion out of it, um, that God can take even the, the greatest of evils and bring good from it, through it even, is not to say that those evils are easy, cheerful, 
fun. We shouldn't sorrow over them. We shouldn't, you know, suffer pain. Those are all real things. So yeah. Lazarus's death hurt his his family and friends. Uh, I'd imagine, you know, being sick, he, it wasn't pleasant for him up into death. So we in no way want to minimize the real, reality of the difficulty of what we go through. But we have to, to understand that God can bring good even through those really painful, hard things. And as we're going to talk later, that, that, that's one cause for hope. Um, you know, this kind of takes us to the next question, I think. And this is what usually, I think the one question when people think of Lazarus, this jumps to their, their minds first, understandably. Why did Jesus delay in going to Lazarus? It, when you're reading, it's clear that they get word and then he, he intentionally waits um, mm-hmm. two days and then he goes. And it seems uncaring. It seems unloving. Uh, but we know when you read the whole account, so if you're reading this for the first time, so suppose you are discipling somebody and, and they've never heard this and you're reading along, that, this is where they may pause and say, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. And we would notice, hey, just hold on. <laughs> you're going to see in a minute. We know with the whole story, it's because he, Jesus had something better in mind. As we're going to talk about in a minute, when he gets there, Mary and Martha both greet him and say, hey, you, had you been here, you could have healed him. And Jesus, in theory, could have been there and healed, and that would have been a great miracle. But he had healed before. Um, this is where he's going to raise him from the dead in this powerful way. And there are some, there are a couple other instances of Jesus raising somebody from the dead. There's the little girl I can think off the top of my head. But this, again, the timing of this one matters, and the public nature of this one matters, and where it's happening near Jerusalem matters. That this was preparatory for the cross and the empty tomb. So that was a greater um, win in mind. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. If you do the math, Jesus waited two days. He gets there, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. So it seems like even had Jesus left immediately, he would not have gotten there in time to to heal Lazarus. He would have already been dead by two days. Mm Mm-hmm. So why did he wait then? I suspect it's because he's even giving more time. Those four days, it just further confirmation that what this miracle was. This was not Lazarus recovering from an illness that was so severe that people confused and thought he was dead. You hear about this in the news every once in a while. Uh, There was one recently where uh, I heard somebody in the morgue, they thought this person was dead and the person sat up or whatever. And, you know, this four days kind of, throws that all out. This is not going to be, oh, Lazarus, we're so sorry. We thought you were dead. I was only mostly dead, uh, using a little princess. Yeah, this is not the Princess yeah, Bride. This is not the Princess and Bride. This is, not, this is also not Wayne Campbell's uh, case of mono, <laughs> um, where he, or alleged case of mono when he was just really bored. Yeah, so, th- uh, this, is, this is dead bed. And so four days would have affirmed that. So it seems like Jesus' intention was for that purpose. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So another question that we've got here is related to this because when Jesus says, all right, it's time to go, he he makes this reference to um, the difference between walking during the day and night in verses 9 and 10. And so the disciples were, were worried about going into a hot spot because just prior to this, 
the the religious leaders were all trying to kill him because he had done this thing that he keeps doing, which is he said he was God, and um and they knew it, <laughs> and uh, he was saying pretty he was saying maybe not the kindest things <laughs> to them <laughs> in the process, so he. So they're like, are you sure? Is this a good idea? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we go somewhere else. Galilee is really nice this time of year. I know. I mean, you know, Capernaum's calling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but he's, but so why does he do this? And and ultimately in this contrast, what Jesus is doing is he's, his point is that, uh, this is what he had come to do. It was time. It was time to work. This was why they delayed as well. Was he because remember, he heard about it and then he waited and then he waited a few more days because they were already a few days out from from where Mary and Martha were. Um, but then they still had to go and it was still a couple days journey um, approximately. And so that's why he waited two days. And then by the time he got there, it's four days. And so it's all so, but then he gets there exactly when he means to. So, and this is, and that's that thing that um, just as an underlying principle that we have to recognize is that God is never late. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it is a little bit of a cliche, Um that that is out there that um he always he always does what he means to do exactly when he means to do it but it's true yep so we fast forward then and and well, not fast forward much but Jesus arrives um in Bethany mm-hmm. and this is a, a good portion of this text from about verses 17 into the into the 20s almost 30 or so um, is Jesus interacting with Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus. And keeping in mind, these three were, were close with Jesus. Um, this, there's just a strong friendship here. And so both Mary and Martha individually see Jesus, and they both have these conversations with him, both say the same thing. Had you been here, you could have healed Lazarus. You could have spared him from death. And Jesus has more of a conversation with each. But I wanted to kind of focus on on what they both said. Because when we look at this, I think a natural question is, okay, do we give Mary and Martha credit for the faith that they had? They, they recognized that Jesus could have healed Lazarus as sick as he was. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's good faith in that. But then we could turn it around if we're a little bit more cynical, which you and I tend to be, and say, well, you know, do should we give them a little bit of grief at least for lacking faith that even, you know, they didn't understand that Jesus could raise Lazarus. They, they still have this limit. I think the answer is yes. I think we have to give them credit where credit's due. Uh, totally. They demonstrated more faith at times than it seems like the disciples themselves did, the, the tw- inner 12. Uh, but then I think also we have to recognize that, yeah, they their faith was a little bit more limited. But at the same time, I think we have to be charitable. Because when mm-hmm. we tend to look at this, and, and when we try to do this, we try to evaluate somebody like Mary and Martha, we, we try to filter them through our lens and our experiences, and that's the problem. We have hindsight. We've read this story many times. We know how it's going to end. We have more of Scripture. We know that the resurrection of Jesus was coming up after this. We have Paul's epistles where he talks about resurrection and so forth. Uh, we have Revelation where we know how it's all going to end. 
And sometimes we forget Mary and Martha were living in that moment. They didn't have all that. They were living as it was. They didn't even have the Gospels to draw from. You know, they had Old Testament scriptures, which speaks of resurrection as well, but they, mm-hmm. they didn't have everything at their disposal that we have. This was new for them. So I think in general, I think a posture of um, more charitableness as we read these, uh, and I think it is, I don't think it's wrong for us to kind of try to figure out, hey, was did this person uh, demonstrate faith or not in this instance? I don't think it's wrong for us to do that. But I think yeah. we just have the charity as we do. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, I think it is worth mentioning the fact that they understood that a resurrection was going to be happening. Yes. But just that they just didn't quite get that when Jesus was saying, do you believe he can be raised from the dead? That he meant right, right now. then. Yeah. Yeah. But then they also kind of indicated that maybe because yeah. they were like, well, you can do anything. Yeah. yeah. So. It, it, so. Yeah. I, I mean. These two, this is just one of these things that's so fascinating is, is how the scriptures for their context and their time were so radically countercultural because Mary and Martha were these great, actually these legitimately really great examples of faith. And their example would one that it would be one that would have automatically been discounted yeah. Simply because they were women. So that's that's something for us to think about is is that, hey, maybe we shouldn't discount anybody um, as their example. Um, you know, any caveats that need to be put in there, put them in there. But um, <laughs> but um, but that it's like we can learn we can we can learn from the example of anybody. Yes. So. Another question, though, leads to one of the most quoted verses. <laughs> um, not necessarily, certainly not in the context that it's intended, but uh, also the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Just two words: Jesus wept. That's right. If you're so, starting a Bible memorization program and want to get off to a good start, you start just there. start with that. It you will have it in three to six months. I guarantee. <laughs> <it>. Got one. <laughs> I didn't even build from there. But you'll have one, and that's important. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> so it has been used as an exclamation of various sorts and kinds. It is just—it is a factual statement, and it's just this punctuation point where, um, in in this passage, that when Jesus, it says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews had come to come, uh, who had come with her crying, um, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, Lord, they told him, come and see Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have also kept this man from dying? And so we see this contrast again of this um, this belief and cynicism at play as well. That it's like this man could could do these things. Why couldn't he do this too? And um, and and there's just so much going on here. Um, but that verse, that verse, that moment in verse thirty three, ver- uh, where it says that Jesus was moved in his spirit and troubled. 
so the the language that's there, I mean, it's something that that honestly every single English translation kind of misses on. It misses the power of it because it is because it it can mean a lot of different things. Um, the word itself is is one that that is used to describe a horse snorting. And so a horse can snort for a couple of different reasons, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, and so, so we have to, but we have to think about, so why would, why would John have chosen a word, a word like this or a word picture like this to describe what was going on in Jesus' spirit? And so one of those, one of those things that, uh, we commonly hear is Jesus was moved in his spirit because of the burden of the suffering of his close friends and his love for Lazarus and and these things and I think that there ha- there is merit there for sure the uh, the other commonly described or more commonly described option as well is that Jesus was moved in his spirit and was feeling this righteous indignation toward the brokenness of 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 the world at the, at the as a result of sin, um, and knowing that and and knowing what he was going to do there that moved him and yeah. and the truth and we often take these things and we say okay well is it this or this and the truth is is that it's not an it's not an either or with these kind of things it's always a it's almost always a both and Jesus's reactions because remember Jesus while being God is also, is also a human being. We have multifaceted emotional responses to different situations, which means Jesus is, is also going to have multifaceted responses to emotional situations. Yeah. I think, you know, it's easy to, to kind of get your arms around this. If you think, you know, we're both fathers and anybody who's listening, who's Mm -hmm. a mother, a father would really understand. I think what I'm about to explain, but Think about, um, you know, there, there's been a time where one of my kids has disappeared in a store because they were careless because they stopped paying attention and mm-hmm. turn around and they were missing. And as a parent, any parent out there like me who's experienced that, you know what? It, it's terror. It's a moment of sheer terror when you feel like you've lost your kid. And then when I found that child, that, that anger, there was frustration and anger, but also amazing relief and love and gratitude. These things can happen at the same time. We can feel complex emotions at the same time. How much more can Jesus, the perfect man, the God man, experience anger at sin? It's not supposed to be this way. And at the same time, sorrow and brokenness to see his friends he cared about deeply in sorrow, even if he knew what was going to happen, which I would say he of course did, um, mm-hmm. Even knowing that, it did not excuse or does not take away from the pain in that moment, kind of what we talked about earlier. That yes, God uses suffering, but suffering is still suffering. So, yeah, it's it, it's in a way I'm glad that that this short verse is used, even though it's the wrong heart behind it so often as a memory verse to you know chalk one on your belt. But it's a really important verse. I mean, it really is mm-hmm. a beautiful verse when you think about it. So, I'm kind of grateful a lot of people know about this. Yeah. And another question, and we're driving toward the end of these series of questions. 
But another one is, so, so he goes, Jesus goes to the tomb and uh, he tells the people to remove the stone and they say, but I love the King James. It's almost, he stinketh. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a stench. The body has started to decompose again, further. Uh, I would suggest why four days instead of two f- further time for that. So he says, no, I'm, I'm telling you just move the stone. And so they remove the stone. And then we read what Jesus prays, and we see this in verse 42. Father, I thank you that you heard me. Notice the tense there. It's past tense, that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, because, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. He is speaking. He's praying to the Father in past tense before he raises Lazarus. We can't miss this. Um, Why? Why does Jesus pray in past tense before he does what he's going to do? I believe the answer is really important because he knows what he is about to do is in accordance with the will of the Father. Therefore, it's as good as done. Mm -hmm. What the Father wills will come to pass. There's no question in Jesus' mind whatsoever. He knows he will not say, Lazarus, come forth. And as we know, a lot of pastors have pointed out in preaching that had Jesus not said Lazarus there, all the dead would have come forth at the in obedience to the Son of God. So Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus had no doubt whatsoever that Lazarus would come hobbling out of the tomb. He had no doubt whatsoever that Lazarus, Lazarus would raise from the dead. He had no fear of nothing happening. And looking bad in front of all these people. He knew this. That's why the past tense was was prayed there. You see Jesus do this elsewhere as well. I think the high priestly prayer, he uses past tense about how he had accomplished the mission that God had, the Father had sent him for. Yeah. Before the cross and empty tomb. The cross was the ultimate mission. So before that's because it's 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 fixed. It's done. It's resolute. Jesus yeah. One passage talks about Jesus setting his face to Jerusalem, being resolute. So this just reminds us that the will of God will come to pass. One other quick aside about this before we move on to our final question of this passage. And it's really neat when you look at this to think about Elijah in the Old Testament. Remember Elijah at Mount Carmel. And Elijah, mm-hmm. he, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a parallel because Elijah's standing in front of all these people and he prays quietly to the Father uh, to God to bring fire down to consume because the people are watching for God's glory. So there's there's a parallel here clearly to Elijah and Jesus here at Lazarus's tomb. Yeah. Yeah, and the last question of course is what's the significance of the miracle itself? And so there there's really a couple of things because remember the the seven signs that are in John are intended to show Jesus' identity, who he is. And so Jesus, and which ultimately means Jesus is God. Jesus is the word who was with God and was God in the beginning, the one through whom all things were made. Um, And so Jesus here in showing that he has resurrection power for those who believe was saying, I'm the God who has power over life and death. And this was the absolute last straw for the religious leaders when they saw this, because 
this is this is just one of these most amazing things that we see in John's gospel is he shows us he shows us how people respond and when he and so in so many places it's and many people believed or in other places it's and a whole bunch of people walked away like when we talked about him referring to himself as the bread of life and saying you must eat my flesh and drink my blood um but here he says, and it says in verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he, Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and, and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin and were saying, uh, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, You know nothing at all. You're not, cons- uh, you're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people, rather than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. So, from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus's miracle here, his revealing his identity, resulted in the religious leaders who were afraid of losing their position of power and influence with the uh, with the Roman government. Said, you know what we need to do? We need to kill this guy. Yep. That's that should be sobering for us in our day as we think about our relationship with with worldly powers and also i don't think we can miss here the sovereignty of god at work that this was this encounter was intentional it it was used to drive toward the cross god Mm -hmm. was was bringing to pass that rejection so that christ would be sacrificed to be the payment for our sin just a reminder that Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus gave his life willingly, and it was part of God's design. Yep. Yeah, he said, I'll lay my life down, and I will pick it up again. Yeah. And he meant it. Yeah, so, you know, you see this at times. He Jesus provokes the religious leaders intentionally at other times. This seems like, again, it's intentional. He's provoking this amazing miracle mm-hmm. is is on it encourages us, but it also provoked the unbelievers, the the uh, the religious leaders, to prompt his ultimate rejection, which was at hand. Yeah, yeah. So let's think about this. Let's think about all that we've talked about, and I mean, we've kind of hit on some things along the way already because that's what we do. Yeah. But uh, let's let's think about this from a discipleship perspective. Is there any other guidance that we can offer in working through this passage with someone else? Yeah, I think um, I, we've already talked about God bringing greater glory through our greater suffering at times. And it's not a popular or fun idea, but it's so important. And I think that's a, a huge takeaway for us as we work through. But there's one other takeaway and I think it's it's a major takeaway from this. Not the major. The major is is Jesus that we're seeing. He has resurrection power mm-hmm. and, and pointing toward the cross. But a major takeaway is that we have a resurrection story to share. I love the um, 
the, the continuation of the story that we often don't look at. It's in the next chapter, so it's just a few paragraphs later. But if you look at, at John chapter 12, so move into John 12 and look at 9, this is what we find. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were desert, deserting them and believing in Jesus. Don't miss that. Um, Lazarus, apparently after this, could not stop talking about Jesus. He probably did before, but after he was raised from the dead, he was a champion for Jesus, so much so that the same religious leaders that you talked about wanting to kill Jesus added Lazarus to that list. I, I joke about this. Can you imagine meeting, having dinner with Lazarus after his resurrection? And you're sitting there at dinner, and all of a sudden Lazarus says, Hey, guys, have I ever told you at the time I was dead? And you're like, Yes, Lazarus, you've told us many times. And he just starts telling you again. <laughs> Yeah. Because can you imagine if if you were Lazarus, wouldn't you have done that? I, I can everybody I met, hey, I used to be dead. Hey, I used to be dead. Let me yeah. tell you the story. Well, I think sometimes we can look at that and say, man, it would have been fun to be Lazarus to have such a story to tell. Yeah. But you know what Lazarus never did? What's that? He never wrote a book about no, it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> um he that was before his time. Um yep. and his would his would have been good though. Um but yes, his would have been true. While we might look at Lazarus and say, man, I'm jealous. I wish I had such a story to tell. The, the error is we do have such a story to tell. Indeed, we have a better story to tell. Because while Lazarus was physically dead, we were all spiritually dead. And we have been brought to life. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have been given new life. We have been raised from the dead. And so this account should remind us, encourage us, motivate us to be just as excited about telling people about our new life as Lazarus was, so that the same might be said of us, that many were coming to Jesus because we couldn't keep our mouths shut. Brian, I think that's a good place for us to wrap this up. Um, so, man, thanks for chatting about this. This was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.